This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. We've done, we've got a ratio, meditatio, and now we move into the third one, which is sort of, it's the, the, it's the strange one. It's the one where Luther kind of fully brought himself to it. It's, it's, not the, um, it's not the conclusion that you expect from saying, we pray and then we meditate and then, oh, wait, what? This, this is what happens? Um, like, why, 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 why would that happen? Uh, yeah, like, man, Luther, come on, dude. I, things, are, things are supposed to just get better when I pray and meditate. Um, and Luther said, that is... Progressively sanctify, right? Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is just not going to happen. Because um, what he says is what happens when we read Scripture is you don't just simply contemplate things in some sort of neutral mode. You don't just receive some sort of blissed illumination, but you feel, as a sinner, an attack on yourself. Because um, what he says, you know, there's always the possibility in front of you that you could be destroyed, that there is going to be an end to your life. And when we read scripture, we find out particularly that end that is possible is one that is separate from God. Um, you know, however you want to understand that, scripture does testify to this sense of destruction of, of not being in relationship to God anymore. And that is something that, you know, especially terrified um, the young Luther and sent him into this tentatio or onfectum. Um, the image that Luther liked to return to over and over again is that reading scripture is sort of like Jacob at the Jabbok River, um, <clears throat> where you're tackled by this unknown presence um, who, who... And you're dislocated. Yeah, you, you're, you're, you're in a struggle. Yeah. And um, the person doesn't identify himself to you right away. Um, and we'll come back to that image because it's, I think... That's good. It's really interesting. But here, here's how Luther describes Tentatio. He says, This is the touchstone that teaches you not only to know and understand but also to experience how right, how true, how sweet, how lovely, how mighty, how comforting is God's word. Wisdom above all wisdom. So you see why it is that David so often in this psalm laments concerning all the enemies, the wicked princes and tyrants, the lying and godless spirits, which he must suffer by reason of the very fact that he meditates, that he applies himself to God's word. For as soon as God's word goes forth through you, the devil will afflict you and make you a real doctor of theology and teach you by his attacks to seek and to love God's word. Um, you know, to use another image that Luther likes, as soon as God gives you that command in the garden, that's when the serpent comes up and says, did God really say? As soon as you hear that word of scripture, there's always going to be that thing that comes in and says, can you really trust this? Is this really, not just true, but true for you? Um, are you appropriately applying the preposition to yourself? You know? Um, you, you know how Luther talks in Galatians, you have to apply the preposition that it's not just Jesus Christ is love, but Jesus Christ is love for you. 
Um, but we'll always find ways to question whether that's the truth. Can it be applied to me, who is a sinner? I just messed up earlier today. I'm always thinking terrible things. Um, there are a thousand different things in life that can throw you into despair or worry about the certainty of God's promise for you. And the interesting thing is Luther said that happens precisely when you are in the word and precisely when you are hearing it. Because the devil likes more than anything else to come to you in that moment and say, no, this is not true for you. And so that, that's a really interesting thing, I think. Um, where, where, where David in the psalm is, is complaining about his enemies, Luther was complaining about you know, the papacy and his other various enemies, because he said, look, I was in the word. I was coming to this new understanding of things. And that is precisely when, you know, the whole horde of people rushed me and have tried to, they've excommunicated me. They've tried to kill me. The devil has always assaulted me throughout my life. So you're driven into this struggle. Um, and this struggle is something, you know, it's, it's described in Scripture itself. You know, you think about passages where we read about spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6 and all these things. When we come into Scripture, we're not, it's not just revealed to us that life and history and the earth is some sort of playground for the sanctified, but it, it is the battlefield um, where the war is happening. And the Gospel tells us that the war has been won by Jesus on the cross, and yet we still exist in that battlefield day by day, and the enemy wants to take the word from us. Um, the good thing here is that Luther says it's precisely this experience of tentatio, of experiencing this agonizing struggle that makes you a theologian. Hmm. It's the experience of being thrown into despair of having your life upended, of being told that this, you know, that word is not actually for you, that teaches you to hold to the word. It's, it's the Holy Spirit working in those experiences to uh, make that word day in, day out, more and more clear and certain and fully assured for you. Um, so to quote Luther, he says, it is by living no, not living, but by dying and giving ourselves up to hell that we become theologians, not by understanding, reading, and speculating. How come that goes on like every seminary? <laughs> by being driven to hell that you become a theologian. Yeah. <laughs> come, awesome. give, come, give you, come give yourself so to hell. Living, dying, living, being, dying, and being damned. Mm. Yeah. Such a great word. Can you quote that again? You know, i tell you, that scripture and... Is it 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16, where he says, uh, in season and out of season, be ready to deliver the word of God in season and out of season. That's got some of this undertow to it because when you are upset, when you're tired, when you don't understand, when you are assailed, uh, when you get the cancer diagnosis, those things will make you what you are not right now. And that's, that's key. To be in the theology. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I think that's exactly right. Um, it's ha it's having those experiences that strip away your delusions and the walls you build up, and it, it leaves you with nothing except for the word.
Um, so, Zach, did you want I, something? Yeah, could you mind re-quoting that again? Oh, okay. Zach's so, going to blog about it. No, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> says, it is by living. Um, no, not living, but by dying and giving ourselves up to hell that we become theologians. Not by understanding, reading, and speculating. You know, it's in this vein, Luther's misunderstood or misquoted reason is the devil's whore. Mm. That's what's in the back of my brain. Because it's not, he's obviously not an anti-intellectual. Oh, no. Brilliant. But it's that, I think it was Paulson who said it's closer to intuition when he's talking about reason in that particular place. If you look in on yourself, apart from the external word, mm. that's the devil's whore. Yeah. That's, you know, this isn't really for you. You've got the direct line. You're, you, Luther, are special. Everybody else was wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what he stood up in the eighth well, so to speak. Is that, is that right? Am I in the right bank? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, yeah, Luther often gets trashed on because they say, oh, he hated reason, um, which is not true. He hated the misuse of reason. So he would say that reason is almost a divine thing right. in itself. Meditatio, especially. Yeah. Coming in through your faculties. Yeah. Meditate, illuminate. Yeah, exactly. And even the reason of an unbeliever who doesn't know the external word, he says that reason can tell you that there is a God. You know, it, it, his example is the sailors that Jonah was with. They all cry out to God because they know he knows they exist, but they, they don't have the spirit um, to illuminate them. They don't have that external word. So it's that reason can do a lot, and it's really important. Um, it can tell you that there's a God, but only Jesus Christ makes that makes God known to us. And if you if you say reason can do that, that's the devil's war. Yeah. Where do you, do you know where he said that? Where the source is? That oh, like, table talk or is that? It, it's in Galatians, isn't it? I think I just read it. Google seems faster. What are, what are you guys awesome. asking the question about? <laughs> I just like crazy questions. Where the quote, um, reason is the devil's whore, comes from in Luther? It's from, it's partly in Table Talk, Table Talks. It's not It's also in work, just like generic. Nah, this isn't helpful. <laughs> reason is the, is the devil's greatest whore from works. I think that's a collection of that's all of his works in the Yeah, basically. The LW, yeah. Just a few more things on Tentatio before we will take a break. Uh, we, sorry, we mentioned at lunch, sort of, you know, the issue of the first commandment. What happens when you hear the first commandment? Uh, and Luther would say to meditate on the first commandment is to become wrapped up in this battle between the one God and the many gods, and particularly the many gods that we create in and of ourselves. Because um, we, we hear this commandment given to us, this, that this God is standing over and above us, but when we look into ourselves, um, we know what we do in and of ourselves, and we know that the very thing that has to happen for the first commandment to be true for us is for our reason and for our heart to be killed and to be made anew. There's just this sense again that um, the way out of this tentatio is, is by death. It's by um, 
It's, you know, death and resurrection. And by always and only running to the God who is revealed to us in Jesus Christ, who preaches this word to us that there is nothing in creation that can keep you from my love for you. Sort of a Romans, end of Romans 8 kind of um, thing. Um, I like what Oswald Bayer says about this. He says, the agonizing struggle um, teaches you to hold to God's word. He says it doesn't give you certainty. He says it gives you an excess of certainty. It gives you more than you could ever need um, cause it, because it's something beyond cognitive knowledge. It's not something that's just grasping your reason such that you know it's true, but it is literally turning all of you to this word, um, bringing your heart, your soul, your mind, your spirit um, everything, every bit of you is killed and remade by the Spirit. And all of it um, exists in relationship to the God that is revealed to us in His Word. Um, Are you going to... I'm probably going to get my paper on some part of this. Um, the two wills of God, the hidden and revealed God, the tentatio is a part of that. We yeah. run from the unpreached God, the absolute God, to the revealed God. Are you gonna, is that part of what we're doing in the bondage of the will? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. No, wait. Yeah, that's, that's a great, great topic. Yeah. Um, and I like that we'll, we'll get to that in the antinomian disputations, too. Um, you know, talking about how the Holy Spirit can work on us as the hidden God. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a... It's a fascinating topic, so, so we'll get there. Um, and that's, that's the thing, is that um, part of this assault and this despair and this agonizing struggle comes from the fact that we are assaulted by God's hiddenness. Um, that it doesn't always feel like, like even that God is there, but it, doesn't, it feels particularly like God is not there for you. Um, and that is, in, you know, in essence, the hiddenness of God assaulting you. Um, and to that assault, we always have to hold forth that word. Yeah. It's God acting very ungodly. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, the hidden God is the devil. <laughs> yeah, that's where I want to go. Yeah. Um, we'll, we, we'll talk more about this, but... Um, you know, Byer, you, might have, you, you may have read Byer. Yeah, talks pretty about, heavy into Byer recently. Yeah, the God revealed to us in the Word is the triune God who gives himself for us. That's God revealed. And God hidden, we just kind of have to have a general doctrine of God. And these two things cannot be united in our experience. Um, there may be, there will be eschatological unity when it's revealed to us that the God who is revealed is this God who is God in himself. Um, but we will never experience it like that in its unity in this life. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Good. It's messed up stuff, man. <laughs> Bondage of the will. Never seek God outside of Jesus Christ. The hidden God is the devil. Can you, can you unpack that just a little bit? <laughs> if, you a little if you come back Wednesday. Okay. I'll yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
If you haven't given up on me by then. I think you're so I'm not going anywhere. Okay, well, you might get lost on a beach somewhere. So, for Luther, this is what it means to be a theologian. It's someone who experiences this agonizing struggle, but then goes into prayer in reading the Holy Scripture, of humbling himself before God, that God, in the midst of this struggle, always gives his promise, proclaimed, sung, mediated through the sacraments, that God reveals himself to us, um, and we have to go where he promises to be given. Um, And the the, the agonizing struggle will make um, it clear to you where God is to be found, because you will quickly see all of the places where he is not found, where his love is not felt, um, where you find no promises, but only burdens and crushing defeat, as it were. Um, Do you feel like this has come together a little bit? Um, I feel like I have to say, this will be on the final exam. (laughs) It's not a a pattern of Lexio Divina that's familiar to the evangelical spiritual disciplines world. No. I like it, though. I do, too, because I... I feel like it brings something realistic into our lives. Is that reading scripture is not always this experience of just getting the promise that uh, you know makes you feel good. <laughs> um, I, I I read I had to preach on Mark ten a couple of weeks ago on divorce, which was super fun. Um, not at all. But you know, it's hard to do that in a way that people don't just feel crushed when they leave the church. And I had a woman come up to me and she said, um, you know, I'm divorced. And I had read this text and the other divorce text just hundreds of times trying to figure out what they mean for me. And she says, I never felt anything but just guilt mm-hmm. and despair. And it was, it, was, it was really a fascinating thing that she said that because she said, so I just, I knew that I just had to trust in God's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. There you, <laughs> you know, go. Experience makes a theologian. That's right. Um, experience of being damned. Yeah. So that, you know, she had learned how to be a theologian in that moment. Um, that's good. Yeah, that's, that, that, that's going to stick with me for a while, I think. Mm-hmm. Helpful for me just to remember that calls these the three rules for studying scripture. Mm-hmm. Not just the three rules for Christian life, for Christian living, because it's not three rules disembodied from the Word. Yeah. But, you know, not just oratio and meditatio and sort of living outside of the text. I mean, it's, it's a strong tether to the uh, to the Scripture itself. Yeah, because it, yeah, it's easy to let prayer become this disconnected thing. It's easy meditation. Yeah. It's kind of out there. It's just me in my backyard. Yeah. My name. Exactly. Um. You know, the other comment that we should talk about a little bit. Sure. How this takes place in community. I'm talking about the community of believers. Hmm. It's taking place here in this community of saints. 
but it also, in a greater sense, in our churches, this kind of thing must take place, I think, in community. Because you learn from these babies, from, from the others. You learn from others a lot of this stuff. It's not part of what you've learned academically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's where the role of ministry and pastoral care is extremely important. Um, because all of this will ultimately lead you to proclamation, hopefully. Because um, you, from your experience, you can speak to the experience of others, not in further contributing to their struggle, but in handing over to them the word of the promise, which gives them something to cling to. Do you think it's safe to say that you, you don't eliminate the illumination, but it maybe it comes after the torment of the soul, like? Because like the illustration that you gave, like she had an illumination, mm. right? Yeah. Do you think Luther would agree with that, or did he just eliminate illumination altogether? No, you you do receive illumination. It's just that sort of illumination redefined as particularly the illumination of seeing that the only thing I have in this life that will give me a sure promise is the promise of Jesus Christ. So that's, it's that sort of illumination rather than, I don't know, however else we might conceive of illumination as just being full of knowledge or... Right. You must have said, God is doing a new thing. Yeah. Coming in his day, what would have been the illumination in the 14th century monastic practice. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, spirit, the spiritual ascent system yeah. that's built up around the church. Yeah. Right? So, um, so it's another way of saying that all of Scripture points us to Jesus. Yes. Yep. Yep. Christian Yep. Yep. Because um, nothing can be disconnected from that word, and that word is what gives you Christ. So, if the illumination is anything other than that. It's no longer illumination properly defined. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.